0: Well, I'm going to be starting another series this morning, and I'm pretty sure it's not going to take as long as Revelation. That's not the plan anyway. But I believe it's a series that will absolutely change your life. If we grab a hold of the truth and the principles that I'm going to be sharing about in the next couple, three weeks, and as I... As I start my message this morning, I know I won't get more than a few things, words into it, and some of us are going to try to shut themselves down. Because we don't want to hear what Mike's going to talk about today. I believe with my whole heart, it will change our lives. It will change our lives, and it's really pretty simple. What we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks is Generosity. Generosity. There should be no more generous people on planet earth than Christians. Generosity. And one of the things that we don't understand when, the, when we talk about generosity is it's part of who God is. He is a generous, giving God. And as we're transformed by the Holy Spirit more into the likeness of God, more in the likeness of Jesus, one of the things that should be obvious in the life of a disciple is the spirit of Generosity. But we, we got to remember, we start out in a really bad place from really the moment of conception because of sin nature. The sin nature is selfish and prideful. It's all about me. And we're born into that because of Adam. And if we need evidence of it, most of us that have had children realize we don't have to start out with our little kids by going, hey, good job, way to go, way to share, way to be encouraging. You're such a great little kid. No, it's mine, right? It's mine. No, I don't want to share. It's mine. That's not just them. That's us if we give in to that sin nature. So we're going to be talking about generosity. It will change our lives. It will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon us. There are so many things that we can... Embrace and learn when we start understanding the principles of generosity, the principles of biblical stewardship. And I've got into this thing about three minutes, and I haven't said the word money yet, so you're probably all pretty good and happy with that. I want to share a, a story, it's not true, but I'm going to share a story about a highly successful businessman. Highly successful, he had a lot of money, he was wealthy. And one day he was asked by a couple of people that came to him representing a very worthy cause if he would make a substantial donation to their very worthy cause. And his first response was simply something like this. He listened to their case and he said, you know, I can understand why you've come to me. I do have a lot of money. And your cause is a very worthwhile cause. But, he says, are you aware that my mother requires 24-hour round-the-clock care? No, we we didn't know that. He said, Are you aware that my sister is trying to raise her seven children all by herself since her husband was killed in a car accident? They said, No, we didn't know that either. Did you know that one of my sons is in rehab and my other son is doing volunteer service overseas? They said, No, we didn't know that either. He said, Well, if I didn't give them a cent, you really think I'm going to give you anything? It's hard not to laugh at that, but there's a lot of truth in that. Obviously not a generosity or a spirit of a generosity being evidenced there. Not an example of generosity. It's so contrary to what God tells us. Simple things. Scriptures that we've probably heard or misquoted or quoted. First one is in Acts 20, verse 35. Ever heard this one before? It's more blessed To do what? Give than it is to receive. When that's being written by the author of the book of Acts, he says this before he says that. He says, you know what? Let me tell you something. In the words that Jesus spoke, remember when he said this, these were words that he had heard directly from Jesus. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus, this is in His Sermon on the Mount. So this is the teaching of Jesus. And He says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Notice the order of those words. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. It's not that where your heart is, that's where your treasure will go. No, 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 no. It's where your treasure is. Jesus is speaking those words because He knows Whatever we treasure, whatever we value, will capture our heart. It's better to give than it is to receive. Generosity. Simple definition, and some of this is very secular sounding, and then we'll get to the biblical principles. But a simple definition that you might come up with is the quality of being willing to share something with someone else. Generosity. A spirit of generosity, openness and willingness to share our own gifts freely with others and do it joyously and willingly without expectation of receiving anything in return. A lot of good people do that. Matter of fact, there's a lot of people that are overwhelmingly generous and they don't even know the Lord. What would happen if they actually knew the Lord? The world sometimes puts the church to shame with their generosity. They're more generous than God's people. From the worldly perspective, generosity is created through a respect and a compassion for other people. From more of a biblical perspective that we'll understand, it comes from God changing a human heart. But we see a lot of respect and a lot of compassion in the world. And they're willing and they want to experience and celebrate What's important to other people? They want to help people. By nature, it's not that way. We're selfish. But some people, even though they don't know the Lord, it's it's overcame. They've overcame that and they're willing to share. But with Christians, it should be impossible not to. It should be impossible not to. Now when we hear the word generosity and being generous, and that I'm going to teach on generosity for a few weeks, how many of you you don't raise your hands? Your mind went to money immediately. Money. How many of us have a bad taste in our mouth about pastors and preachers and churches talking about money? I know I had, And I know over the years, it's been one of the problems with me speaking about generosity and money the way I probably should have. Because of these obnoxious televangelists that would stand there and beg for your money, guilt you into giving money, manipulate you into giving money, convince you that anything you wanted, all you got to do is give a little bit plant a seed of faith, and golly, it's just going to rain dollar bills on you. That's so much lies. But they were preachers, they were evangelists, and it was hard to hear, so I don't want to talk about money. We're eventually going to talk about money, but we probably won't talk about money much today at all. But there's a reason we need to talk about money. Know what the reason is? Jesus did. God did. A lot. A lot. A lot. If you've read through the Bible, read through the New Testament, if you paid attention to all to this one little aspect of the New Testament, you'd be overwhelmed and shocked at how much there is in there about money, possessions, and stewardship. As a matter of fact, here's a few statistics for you. Sixteen out of the 38 parables that Jesus taught from 16 out of the 38 parables, that's over 40% of the parables that he talked to were about money and possessions. Stewardship. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament, now think about that for a second, so 25% of his words in the Gospels, 25% of his words deal with biblical stewardship. Now that goes way beyond money, but stewardship. And one out of ten verses in the four Gospels deal with money. Think about that. One out of ten. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, in the Scriptures, there's over 2,000 verses that deal with money, possessions, stewardship. That's more than twice as many Scriptures in the Bible that talk about prayer and faith. Why in the world is that the case? Why? I think God knows something we maybe don't understand. He spoke about it all the time because He knew and knows what a temptation and test it is in people. I think He talked about it so much because there is a direct correlation between the way we handle money and our faith. that's pretty hard right there, right? There is a direct correlation about how you handle your money and your faith. And we'll talk more about that eventually. When it comes to money, listen to this. This is not my quote. I'd love to have been smart enough to say this on my own, but I didn't. I stole it. When it comes to money... We will either worship our wealth or we will worship with our wealth. Big difference. We will either worship our wealth or we will worship with our wealth. We know from the temptation and the seduction of success, power and prestige and all that, and the lure of all of the different lusts of the world, the lusts in the flesh, that there are going to be lots and lots of things that are going to vie for our affection, for our devotion. And I think back to the Scripture that says where our treasure is, there will our heart be. Lots of things. The enemy wants to capture your devotion. Wants to capture our heart. Money is probably, and I'm pretty sure of this, the most significant idol that we will have to fight against in our lives. And when I say money, we could say possessions. But it's a battle. You know, I say so many times, you've heard me say this before, you know, when you read a word once in the Bible, we know it's important because it's in the Bible, right? Right? If you see it repeated a second time almost right away, like rejoice, rejoice, we know it's really important. When you see it three times, rejoice, rejoice, again I say rejoice, it's all for emphasis. Over 2,000 verses, 2,000 verses talk about possessions, money, and stewardship. If two or three times is important, how important must it be 2,000 plus times in the Scripture? God knows the temptation of money. In Matthew six twenty four again, a verse you're probably familiar with. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or God and wealth. You can't serve them both. Anything we put before God is an idol. Separates us from Him. What I'm going to be talking about mostly today for sure, maybe part of next week, is not going to be money. It's going to be stewardship. Stewardship. Stewarding our time, our talents, our treasure, but it goes way beyond that. And once we begin to understand the themes and the principles in the Bible about stewardship, I think it will transform our lives. It will change our lives. There are many things in our lives that are not blessings. The Bible calls them curses. And the Bible is clear that obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings cursing. I believe we are unwittingly and unknowingly allowing a whole lot of bad things in our life because we cannot become generous people and we should be. The Holy Spirit lives in us. God's generous. He loves us. The reality is what God cares about isn't your stuff, isn't my stuff. It's not my possessions, it's not my money. Because he understands something I don't that we'll talk about shortly, but it ain't mine anyway. But what he cares about is our heart. He cares about our heart. When we become born again, we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Our heart changes. Our life changes. We are new creations in Christ. And I believe when we begin to understand and we begin to apply and practice generosity, Our hearts will be changed and our lives will be changed forever. And I can speak a little bit from a personal testimony. I was a pretty cheap guy. My wife might still say I am. But, and all the other stuff she said at the retreat, don't believe all of that. (laughs) Keep it, wives don't tell your husbands. It'll change your life forever. It's better to give than receive. You know, it's so much fun to sit at Christmas and watch children open their presents. And then you get one from them and you open it, and reality is, you might go, yeah, okay, whatever, but oh man, it's from them. Which brings you more joy, opening that present they gave you? It gives you some because they tried so hard, they did their best, whatever. But watching them open their presents just explodes your heart with joy, Giving. Instead of receiving. we got to remember, as I said earlier, we were born, we were born, we are born. Every human being ever born was born a taker. A taker. I want it. More, more, more. We're born that way. It's the sin nature. It's selfishness and pride. We're born that way. We need to understand, guess what? Satan and his followers got kicked out of heaven for selfishness and pride, wanting to be like God. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the Garden of Eden out of selfishness and pride. Satan tempted them that they could be more like God. Selfishness and pride. We are born takers, but God is a giver. God is a giver. You know, most of us, I was, well, I won't say what I was, but most of you know I was a Lutheran. (laughs) I at least read one Scripture, right? For God so loved the world that He gave. He's a giver. He's a generous God. He's a loving God. He's a compassionate God. He joys in giving. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. He gave it to us out of just generosity. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't go to a store and buy it. He just gave it to us. And He continues because of His grace and mercy just give and give and give. Because that's who He is. A gracious, generous God. If we're born into selfishness, and that sinful nature, that prideful nature, how do we change? Now most of us, I think, would understand it quite easily, but I'm going to just share a story from the Bible that if you have went to church or Sunday school, you've heard the story. It's in Luke. It's in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. You won't even have to open your Bibles. You won't even have to read up up there because most of you know the story. It's about that good little guy named Zacchaeus. But I want you to listen to the story and look for the transformation that took place and what caused the transformation to take place because it's the same thing that causes the transformation of our hearts from selfishness and prideful to generous and generosity. Verse 1, He, meaning Jesus, by this time, Jesus' fame has been spreading. And wherever He goes, wherever He travels, He has to sneak away to pray. Wherever He goes, there's crowds and they're pushing around Him. And now He's getting ready to go to Jericho, walking through Jericho, and that's what's happening. And it says this, He entered Jericho as he was passing through. And there's a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. And he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of his, um, because of the crowd, for he was a small in stature. He was a wee little man. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree, for the Lord he wanted no in order to see him. <laughs> Y'all sang the same song, ain't, yeah, <laughs> isn't it great? Wee little man, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, I, there's not a lot of pride by the time you climb up in the tree because you're too short to see. And Jesus looks up at you and you're probably going, oh, jeez, I just wanted to see him. I didn't want him to see me. He climbs up there and Jesus said to him, he looked up and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I love that word must. It was his time. And he hurried and he came down and he received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble. Who? The crowd. All the people watching. They all began to grumble. Saying, he has gone to the guest of a man who is a sinner. Well, duh. We all are. But what they're really saying is he is the chief tax collector. He's gotten rich and wealthy because he takes and he charges us more tax than we deserve and he pockets it and he's become rich. He's a no-good scoundrel. That's a little bit of the amplified version. And Zacchaeus stopped and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. There's a story within the story. This man, Zacchaeus, I'm sure prideful, self-focused, greedy, Tax collectors were despised and hated by the people. He was small in stature, but of great wealth. In verse 7 it says he was despised. It wasn't because he was rich. He wasn't despised because he was rich. He was despised because of how he got rich. By defrauding the people. Taxing them beyond what Rome was taxing. And then in verse 8, all of a sudden... Just that quick, he is transformed into a generous giver. Instantly. He gave half his possessions to the poor and then he says, Lord, everybody that I've ripped off, everybody that I've defrauded, everybody that I have overtaxed, if they're there, I will give them back four times what I took from them. What in the world happened to Zacchaeus in those few short moments. He met Jesus face to face. And salvation became His. He was born again in our terminology we would use today. He was a new creature in Christ. His heart was transformed. And a heart of generosity was the evidence immediately. Because God is a generous God. And for us, it happens the same way. Jesus is a giver. When we met with Him, when we meet with Him, if it's that very first time when we meet with Him, it's not face-to-face in the natural as such, but it goes deeper than that. When we meet with Him and we are born again by the Spirit of God, we are saved, we are transformed, we are a new creature in Christ. Old things have died, all things are new, especially our hearts. And we should have hearts of generosity. And oh, I wish it would happen as quickly as it did for Zacchaeus for all of us. But boy, some old habits are tough to break. Even though that potential is all there, my heart is changed, it's going to take a little work. It's going to take a little work to walk out by faith. What do I trust in more? My possessions, my money, my gifts, my talents, or Jesus? All that other stuff. Become so less, much less important. Part of the gospel message' purpose was to create hearts of generosity. Obviously, the primary message is that we would become born again, children of God. But I believe knowing and understanding and applying these biblical principles that we're going to be looking at about possessions is going to develop a special a spirit of generosity in each one of us and it will change our hearts and our lives forever. Generosity. So to do this, we need to understand, I think, some very simple things that you've heard, I've heard, I know I've said it, most of you have said it, about the biblical view or biblical themes about stewardship. What is stewardship? What does it mean? How would you define it biblically? Well, simple. To steward something means that we are taking care of or managing someone else's stuff. erase stuff, put in the blank, and you can put it in there. You know what? When you call a babysitter and they come over to take care of your kids when you go out on a date with your hot wife, they're stewarding your children. You hope they do a good job. If you've got some money and you get a financial manager and you hire him to manage your money, guess what? He is stewarding your money. Anything that someone else entrusts us with and we're supposed to take care of it, we're stewarding their stuff. And there are some themes in the Bible that we're not going to get through all of them today. And the ones we will get through today are really pretty simple. But if we really, 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 really get a hold of these truths, it will change you. I guarantee it. It will change you. And the first one is simply this. God created everything. God created everything. You know how long it took me to figure that out when I got a Bible. Verse one. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, let's see that. What, let's see what didn't He create then? Everything, from the smallest molecule to the biggest mountain to the furthest planet, the largest sun, and you and me, He created everything. In Colossians 1.16, it says, For by Him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him. But the verse doesn't stop there. All things have been created through Him and for Him. All of creation, which includes us, is created by Him, and for Him, for His glory, for His pleasure, for His purposes. You and I were created for Him, by Him. Pretty simple concept. Most of us would get it. The second one goes right alongside with it. It's not the same, but it's close. He owns everything. He didn't just create it and let her go. He owns it all. He owns it all. In the debates that were taking place in the Book of Job, God spoke these words in verse chapter forty-one, verse eleven: "Who has given to me that I should have to repay them? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Everything is mine." He's not bragging; he is just stating a simple fact. I created it all, and it all belongs to me. It's mine. This is really the very beginning of understanding the biblical stewardship principles. If we get this laid as a foundation, this truth, it should change the way we think. The Holy Spirit will cause it to change the way we live our lives. The Holy Spirit changing our lives and the way we live our lives is going to open the door to the blessings that God wants to pour out on us. It's a basic foundational principle of generosity. Generosity. When we begin to understand that, He created everything and He owns everything. That includes me. In other words, my life is on loan from God. My life is His. My life belongs to Him. I'm supposed to steward what He's given me. I told somebody this morning, they made the mistake of mentioning a diet. Talk about four-letter words. I told him, my response was, I hate it when the Lord leads me to study this stuff about stewardship and realize this body belongs to Him. We need to take better care of our bodies. You know, things get taken to extremes, but everything we see out there in creation belongs to Him. We need to steward it well. We don't make an idol out of anything. But we need to steward it all. Because it all belongs to Him. Psalms 24.1 The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. All of it. Doesn't get too much clearer than that. But in case you missed it, He goes on and says the world and all that dwell in it. That's us. We belong to Him. We're created by Him. We belong to Him. And then the third theme I want to mention today is the last one we'll get to today. Is God delegates responsibility. God calls on you and me to manage what He owns. To manage what He has created. We're called to steward it. To manage it. To work together together. With him and for him. In 1 Corinthians 3 9 it says, For we are God's fellow workers. You ever think of yourself that way? You are a fellow worker with God. Going on a little further and get into 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, and working together with him. Now Paul specifically is mentioning or making point that he and his friends, the apostles, the disciples, there they're fellow workers, they're co-workers, they're co-laborers, but that's all of us. We are all co-workers, fellow workers, co-laborers. He has delegated responsibility to us. You know, God actually promises in His Word. I think everybody might know this. He promises to meet every need, right? You ever notice how He does it? How does He meet our needs? I need food. How does he meet my needs? Well, he gives me a job. That's his too. There's people there, somebody pays me. You guys, thanks. (laughs) Now I'm gonna sound like a televangelist, ready? No. Somebody pays me, I go to the store. Somebody opened a store, somebody built a store, carpenters built that store. Somebody trucked in the food, somebody grew the food, processed the food, packaged the food. Somebody grew it. A farmer somewhere grew that crop. Somebody sold him the fertilizer. Somebody sold him the chemicals. I mean, you get the point. I could go on and on and on and on and on. How does God meet my need for food? Through people. And pick a need. I could go through the same thing with the house we live in, the car we drive, the clothes we wear. He uses people. People are to steward His creation and everything that He owns to bring about His purposes. And if we look at those material things and say, that's pretty cool, and it is, all of us are being used to meet the needs of somebody else. And the more generous we are, the more people's needs we will meet. Generosity and understanding these simple themes. When God chooses to build His church, how did He choose to build His church? People. He took His disciples. And He said, just go and make disciples wherever you go. How is He doing it today? Same way. Go, make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit doing the work, casting out demons, laying hands on the sick that they might be healed. All of these things. How is He meeting the needs of people? God, deliver us. How do I do it? Let's go pray and kick that demon out. He uses people. He uses us. We're to steward it. This is what stewardship is all about. And building His church. Scripture in Romans chapter 10. Verse 14. How then will they call on Him who they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not seen or heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them. How does it happen? People. Stewarding God's truth. Stewarding His Word. Stewarding His church. Building His church. He delegates responsibility of his creation and everything that he owns to us. It's not a new concept. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, and let them rule over. He's created everything. And in Genesis chapter 1, he's saying, Here, I'm delegating responsibility to you. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth. And subdue it, and rule over it. Rule over the fish, the birds, and every other living thing. From Genesis through Revelation, God is delegating responsibility to his people. And one of the requirements or one of the things that it takes to really serve him and carry out the responsibilities that he has for us is a generous spirit. We can always come up with an excuse not to do something God prompts us to do. I mean, just think about this example. How many times have you felt a, a nudge in your imagination that you should go share something with somebody about the Lord. Or maybe just go up to encourage them and you go, oh, geez, I hate it when my imagination does this. It just gets out of control sometimes. Nothing happens. Now don't let guilt get you. But God wants to use us. He wants to use us. He's delegating responsibility to us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. This is one of the foundational things about discipleship and becoming a disciple. Having this heart, this spirit of generosity. Understanding that He created it all. He owns it all. And He's delegating responsibility to us. Everything. Now we don't have to get silly, but if we ever say something like, well that's mine, we're really wrong. But we all get it. And I'm not saying it's sin to say that. That's my car. Well, that's God's car. He's borrowed it to me for a while. I better change the oil. How do you like my shirt? Well, that's God's shirt. He used somebody to give it to you so you could wear it on Sundays. Thank you for cooperating with God. Generosity. I'm going to close with a reminder. We're born sinful. We're born selfish. We're born prideful. But when we meet Jesus and are saved by grace through faith out of a generous God's heart and love for us, we are changed and transformed. We could be like Zacchaeus and it changed us like that. But if we don't, it should be something we should be working for, developing self-control, self-discipline. If I gave you my little infant baby, wherever it is one, and I said, here, take care of it for me, you aren't going to go set it in your house and ignore it for the rest of the week, are you? Well, I hope not. We'd take care of it. We'd do whatever we could do. We'd want to take care of that responsibility. I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm going to have to sacrifice my time. I might have to sacrifice doing some things I wanted to do. It's going to have to come from a spirit of generosity, even though we don't think about it that way. So it comes back to, are we as disciples of Christ? Are we as disciples of Christ, children of God, demonstrating this kind of generosity to the world around us? And as we're going through this, I I, I want you to truly hear my heart on this. As a church, as a group of people, we we are blessed. We have a generous church. But at the same time, there's a lot of us in here that probably are falling so far short of what God would want you to do in the area of generosity. And I believe as there's corporate blessings, I believe there are individual blessings. God wants to bless us. But you can look at some of the parables in there about who does he give more to, who does he bless more to, who does he give more responsibility? Those that are the faithful stewards of what he gives them. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank You again this morning for Your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in each one of us. That Your Holy Spirit is at work in each one of our lives, each one of our hearts. That the Holy Spirit is working to transform us into the likeness of Christ day by day, piece by piece. Father, I thank You for the many blessings that You have poured out out upon each of us as individuals and as a church. Father, I pray that we would be very sensitive to the leading of Your Holy Spirit, that You would give us great wisdom as how to best steward everything that You give us so that Your purposes would be accomplished. Father, I thank You for the promises in Your Word where there's generosity because it's obedience. There is blessing. I pray You would take each one of us, wherever we're at in this process, of developing that spirit of generosity. you would take every one of us and, and draw us and expand us, challenge us, encourage us by your spirit to be the most generous people that we can possibly be. For Lord, we do represent your church. We represent your son. We represent you. That the world might see and know that there is something different about people like Zacchaeus whose hearts have been transformed by meeting Jesus.